And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's from Luke chapter 22, verse 19. This is the Essential Bible Studies podcast. My name is Tim Young, and I'm glad to be joined here today with Nick Hands. Hi, Nick. Hi, Tim. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on the podcast. You're actually uh, the first Australian I've ever had on the podcast. Is that right? Of that distinction. And I'm glad to have you here because we have a lot of listeners in Australia, so it's nice to have somebody who speaks the language. Perfect. <laughs> I'm quite fluent. We are going to be talking about a very important subject, of course, essential Bible study. We're talking about what most people think about as the Last Supper, the bread and the wine, and the sharing of these, which we call like a memorial supper, a feast. And so we're going to go delve into this. I mean, you came to me a while ago and said you were studying this, and I said, well, that's pretty awesome because many years ago, I looked at it very closely in Matthew, but you kind of went to another level with it (laughs) and uh, have a lot of really nice handouts here and things for our study together to see what the Lord Jesus Christ is really calling us to and this bread and wine. For sure. I would say most people, when they think about the Last Supper, they think about like that famous piece of artwork where Jesus is at this table with all of his apostles right. and everything. And it, when you think about it that way, it seems like something that was important in the past, but maybe there's a little bit of disconnect because when you look through the scriptures, it is really important. So I was thinking maybe you could read that section for us and just fill in the details for us, kind of get us prepped here as we get into the subject. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly a testament to its importance. This record is actually picked up in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they all pick up on different aspects of it and touch on different details. So it's quite helpful to piece those records together as we have kind of in the handout. Now, just to introduce that, you've given me this handout, and this is awesome. I I love this. I guess you did this in Excel? I did, yeah. Yeah, okay. So you put in columns each of the different accounts. So one's from Matthew 26, one's from Mark 14, one's from Luke 22, and then you have 1 Corinthians 11 is like the Apostle Paul's account of it. That's correct. And then you broke it out so that you can see what's parallel, what's unique about each different record. And then on the very far right-hand column, you have a proposed consolidation. I didn't even thought about this, but you just put it all together and it just kind of rolls all together. And that's the thing about these different witnesses is they have different things they emphasize uh, for different reasons, but you you really want to get each one of the, the accounts and kind of put them all together like this. That's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's quite helpful when you're looking at this section of scripture to try and piece it all together in that way. Like I said, some of the detail and some of the things are picked up in some of the records, but missed in others. So until you put them side by side, you can sort of get a complete um, record of it that way. So I'll put a link to this in the show notes. And if you want it, you can download it from there. Okay, so, we're in Matthew 26, right? We're going to look yeah, at that. Yeah, so maybe it's worth just going through and then reading Matthew 26. Yeah. Um, the record really begins in verse 26. So we have here 
Christ the day before he was to die. He wanted to have this special uh, supper with his disciples. And so in verse 26, we read, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take it, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that jumps out to me is why the, the bread and wine? Why did Jesus institute this? We're going to go through a lot of these details here, but you know, what was his purpose in doing this? Yeah, you touch on a good point. You can see from the records uh, in Luke and 1 Corinthians 11, where it's actually picked up. Again, one of the, the details that is excluded here in the record in Matthew, but it's picked up where Christ says, after taking of the bread and after taking of the wine, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And so mm. this was some, not something that he just wanted to do in that moment. Just there like with, one time. Exactly, right. yeah. Not just there with his disciples at that one time. He wanted it to be continued to be done in the future. And so it's really a commandment of his that he wanted this to be done in remembrance of him as really a memorial. Yeah, I see by the chart that it's in Luke, it says, do this in remembrance of me. And in 1 Corinthians 11, so do this in remembrance of me. That's why I guess we call it a memorial, a remembering of what Jesus did. Because we're all, we're like leaky vessels. Like we forget so much. There's that danger, isn't it? To really forget and to really not appreciate what Christ did for us. Absolutely. I'm glad you kind of mentioned that because as we get into the bread and the wine, we're going to discover that these things represented much more than maybe just sharing a meal together. There was rich significance and meaning behind these symbols of bread and wine. I was going to say, like you, you talk about the rich symbols, like the one that's in 1 Corinthians 11, where it says do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. But then he adds, this is Paul, he adds, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now that's Paul's commentary on it, right? Mm -hmm. But he says it's a remembrance, but there's also this aspect that you're proclaiming something, that you're preaching, that you're actually living out this sacrifice of Christ. So there's a a practical side to this too, isn't it? Just not kind of sitting there and thinking about things. There's actually a, an act that's being proclaimed here. Yeah, actually, when you go to 1 Corinthians 11, it actually shows that it can't just be talking about eating bread and drinking wine. If we look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25, he says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So if it was talking about just drinking wine, the verse would read, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this 
as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It doesn't really make sense. Uh, I think okay, he's talking yeah, about a lot more than that, right? Do this. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so by doing this, I think he's talking about live out the application of this wine. Do that as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the commandment of doing it in remembrance of Jesus was much more than just drinking and eating of these things. Yeah. But it was more about living out what these things would represent. Right. So there's nothing like magical in eating something. Really, the power is in the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and our confession that we are associating ourselves with his death and therefore with his resurrection. Yeah, absolutely. I think these symbols of bread and wine are really to help us undergo a mental process where it helps us grow closer in our connection with the Father, an understanding of what Jesus has done in our lives. And as we do this together with other believers, it really helps us build a, a connection with them as we're working together to achieve and glorify God in the way in which we live our lives. Right. I guess somebody could say, like, this is something he's sharing with his apostles. I mean, where do you go to really see this kind of apply to us, that this is something that we should be doing as well. Yeah, absolutely. In Acts 2 and verse 42, we see that this was a practice that continued on after Christ. Acts 2 and verse 42 reads, And they, the believers that speaking of, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So this breaking of bread, as Christ did in that upper room, was something that the the believers actually continued in following his death right. and his resurrection. Yeah. I noticed in the context here, like in the previous verse, it says, so those who received his word were baptized. So there was a baptism, and then they followed the teaching, the doctrine of the apostles. They had this fellowship or sharing one together, and then this breaking of bread and prayers. That's right. So yeah. that breaking of bread there in Acts 2, verse 42, is this memorial. It's this remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ and partaking of both bread and wine. But it just says breaking of bread here, right? <laughs> it does, yeah. Yeah. But that seems to be like an all-encompassing term of both bread and wine. It's just not like having a meal together, right? No, absolutely not. I And I certainly believe it in that context. And, and in many cases, there's lots of use of the word bread being an all-encompassing term. In scripture, it really is a, a symbol of food. So I have an example of this in Acts chapter 20. Like you can read through the Acts and just kind of pay attention to this and you pick it up in different spots of how they broke bread together. This is a really good example in Acts 20 and verse 7. It says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to part on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. So there seems to be just a, I don't know if we call it a tradition, but the way that the apostles did things is they got together on the first day of the week, which would be our Sunday, although it's... It's hard to say with Jews because they started their day at nighttime. So it could have been Saturday night or Sunday yeah, morning. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but on the first day of the week, it wasn't Saturday for them. It was Sunday for them. 
when we were gathered to break bread. So that doesn't mean like they just ate once a week. They'd be starving like the rest of the week, right? That breaking bread is the memorial. It has to be the memorial, right? Yeah, yeah. it has to be. You make a really good point there because if they waited once a week to eat bread, (laughs) it wouldn't be long before uh, they would fade away. So it has to mean a lot more than just daily food. And I, I think you're right there. It really is this breaking of bread that was instituted by Christ in that upper room. Yeah. So it's it's interesting there that it's it's once a week. It's not like every year. But there's really no special day associated with it. This was their practice. I think it's a good practice to follow. But the other text said, as often as you do this. Mm-hmm. So could be any day because it's just that special time, right? It's a special memorial. Absolutely. And I think the wisdom is in doing it at least once a week, but it's yeah. really what these emblems, these symbols of bread and wine speak of, that that needs to be something which carries on throughout our week. It's something that needs to be continually our focus and thought as we go about our daily lives. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we've established the bread and the wine they're really symbols, like why didn't he just choose a banana or a grapefruit or something, right? He chose specifically this kind of aspect of bread and wine, mm-hmm. but they're like symbols, aren't they? That's right. In scripture, bread is used in many, many places, and it's really seen as the fundamental food for life. Mm. It's really a symbol for all food in general. Um, there's many cases of where there's occurrences of, of people meeting together to eat bread, but it's obvious from those occasions that it involved a lot more than just bread. So we really see it as a symbol of food. Or food in general, just like having, That's a, right. meal, having a full meal. Yeah. yeah. And as such as it being kind of a symbol of all food, it really also became a symbol of man's labor. His labor of his life to really survive was seen in this bread. Well, that's why I say I, I work to put food on the table. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> it. That's a good analogy, right? It, at the end of the day, it's our labor of our lives in terms of the things we need to do naturally to have life. That's really picked up in actually Genesis chapter 3, where following the transgression in the Garden of Eden... There was a curse put upon man, and it said there in verse 19, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. So bread here is being used as a, a representative of the sweat of man or his mm. his labor, yes, right? Yeah, yeah. So his, his dependence upon laboring for food. Yeah. Is this the first place bread is used in scripture? That's a good question. I believe it is. <laughs> I'll check it out later. <laughs> I think it is. So it starts way back in Genesis, this kind of term bread. So that's interesting. It's all about labor. It reminds me of a passage in John chapter six, where Jesus talks about bread through the whole chapter. He's He's talking about bread, but it starts off with that miracle of the multiplication of the loaves. And afterwards, people were following him because he gave this miracle of feeding them with bread, but they were just interested in the physical bread. And Jesus had a lot more in mind 
with the, the bread. So it's in John chapter 6, and starting at verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So that's an mm-hmm. echo back to that Genesis passage you were talking about. Do not work or do not labor for the food that perishes. Yeah, I love that passage because, as you mentioned, these followers were all coming to seek the bread. Mm-hmm. And what does Christ say to them? You're laboring after the wrong thing. You're working for the wrong thing. Do not labor after the food that perisheth, but for the food that endureth the everlasting life. So this is a, a great reference to go to just show that bread represents the labor of man. Right. Like Jesus would go on in this chapter, he says in verse 48, I am the bread of life. So he's, mm-hmm. he's talking about himself, much like on the Last Supper. He says, this is my body. Uh, so we have to partake of the Lord Jesus Christ in that way. So it's a contrast here in this chapter between the manna, that miraculous bread that was given in the Old Testament during the Exodus, which they ate in the wilderness and died, versus what Jesus Christ was bringing was really the words of life. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from God. That's right. Right. So he is associating himself with the message. He is the one that salvation is going to be in. And so he finally just, he says to them, they didn't really understand it. He says, you've got to eat of me. And I'm like, what? How can you eat your flesh? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So in verse 53, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So you know, what is he really talking about? He's talking about this fellowship that we have to have with God and with Christ, right? So he really brings it out in verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So there's that fellowship aspect. It's really that same message that we see in the Last Supper with the bread and wine is really here in John chapter 6, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we're going to get to the words that Christ says when he takes the bread and takes the wine, but he says about the bread, he says, this is my body or my flesh. And when he takes the wine, he says, this is my blood. Mm. So that's what this is really talking about here in John 6. He says, flesh and blood, which is directly linked to the emblems of bread and wine that we see in the upper room. Right. It's interesting, like your parallel chart there, There's nothing from John there. John doesn't record the Last Supper. Well, he records the Last Supper, but he doesn't record this giving of the bread and the wine as a remembrance of him. That's right. It seems odd. You know, a lot of the time, one particular record, one of the Gospels will pick up on one aspect, and they may not be excluding the others. But this is something that appears in three of the Gospels. But yet, mysteriously, it's not in the record of John. But John chapter 6 
It just seems to be his record about it, like what it really means. Definitely. And I think maybe this is why John didn't go into that discourse is because before we get to the upper room, he'd already explained what these symbols were going to represent. However, if we go to John chapter 13, which is really the beginning of this account of the upper room, he does include something that also the other records don't talk about. Mm. And it's this washing of the disciples' feet. Now, the custom in those days was really that when they arrived at a guest house, in those days they, they wore sandals, so they'd often come with pretty dusty feet, that there would be a bowl, there would be a basin, some water, and a cloth. And it was the servant's job to wash the guest's feet. You can imagine that as the disciples arrived, they expected this same custom to take place. But yet, oddly enough, when they arrived, there was no servant. There was no person to wash their feet. You can imagine the disciples' awkwardness as they continued on, not sure what they should do, and and it appears that they actually began feasting. And during the feasting, in verse 3, Jesus, it reads, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God, was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So the disciples came with this sense of awkwardness because a custom that they were used to was ignored. But you can imagine how that awkwardness would only have been amplified as their Lord and Master. He took on upon himself the work of this servant and took this towel and tied it around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began washing their feet. But it's very interesting what Christ says following this account. It reads in, in verse 12, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said unto them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. So first he acknowledges that awkwardness that they had felt as they watched their Lord and Master do the work of a servant. He says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye also should do just as I have done to you. So in this record here, you can see the scene that Christ had orchestrated. He was the one who arranged this feast in this upper room. He was the one who would have arranged whether there was a servant there or a servant was not there. And I think Christ set this lesson up to set the premise for this whole meeting of this feast with them. He wanted them to consider how they were serving each other. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think this was before the breaking of bread or was it afterwards? Yeah, I actually certainly think it was before the breaking of bread. And we can kind of piece that together by looking at when the sop was taken because two of the other records record of this sop and they record that as happening just before the bread and the wine. Whereas here, the sop comes in John 13, just after the washing of the right. feet. Okay, yeah, that's the, the key point there. So that's interesting to think that this happened before. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I think it really then adds a lot of meaning to what Christ is about to do in the bread, because the bread comes not like that long afterwards. And what Christ does, he, as we read in, in Matthew 26, he took this bread, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Yeah. And the disciples would have still had these words, this whole experience of washing their feet. That would have still have stung them deeply and it would have carried with them into the night. As soon as Christ said those words, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. I think they would have immediately gone to the words that he just said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done unto you. And so Christ in the upper room, he took this bread, a symbol of his labor of his life, and he just demonstrated that. And said, this is what my labor is all about. This is what my life's all about. It's about giving myself for others. This is my work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's really interesting. Because sometimes when you see that word body, it's associated with Christ. Like he says, my Mm -hmm. flesh. There is something about him overcoming sin in the flesh, never sinning and those kind of things. But there seems to be another aspect about the body being the group of believers in that upper room, it would have been the 12 apostles, but it goes beyond that, doesn't it? That's right, yeah. And it reflects on the service, like you're saying, that we wash one another's feet. I've given you an example, not that we, that's the only thing, you know, we do. That was the example of serving one another and loving one another, isn't it? So, I think Paul really brings that out in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He mentions the cup and the bread And he really draws it to this idea of it being the ecclesia. That's the word church or the word ecclesia. We had a podcast on that earlier. (laughs) A group of believers, right? Yeah, the group of believers. So it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16, where he tells the Corinthians, he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So he's really emphasizing a unity here, a oneness, that as we're partaking of this bread together, it's a symbol of our unity together, of our fellowship together, that we're all partaking of the same thing, which is the life of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, his work and his labor of love to serve in the ecclesia. Yeah, I think that's really why Christ takes a a loaf, as it says even here. We are one bread and breaks it. So that way we each think of our participation as individual members of that one body. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we actually have a beautiful analogy where we have a group of believers who are represented as a body. We have different members of that body, different parts of that body, all working together to do different purposes. You've got some eyes, you've got some hands, you've got some feet, but they're all working together for the same purpose. So he ends this section actually with verse 27, which says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So this whole analogy Mm. of a body 
spoke of much more than just Christ's body. Yeah. It was speaking of a body of believers, a body that we can all be part of, that we all need to be part of and thinking about each other in. Do you think that's why, like if you go back to chapter 11, it seems like all these chapters here mention this, chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, but in chapter 11, verse 29, it says there, for anyone who eats and drinks, that's eats the bread or drinks the wine, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So that discerning of the body is not some sort of esoteric understanding about the atonement and what Jesus did in his body. I think that, and in the context, is really talking about the believers, all the members together in this one body, like you're bringing out here in chapter 12. So if you're not discerning the needs of your brothers and sisters, and you're partaking of this bread and wine, you're eating and drinking condemnation or judgment to yourself. Because you're not really living the bread and wine, right? Absolutely, yeah. I think you're really getting down to the nut of what this is all about. It's really the bread being broken and being invited to partake of that. We're considering the, the body and how we are each involved in that. Are we giving ourselves for each other as, mm-hmm. as Jesus gave himself for each other? And so it's a really a, a process of self-examination. And if you go back just one verse from what you were just reading there, oh, 1 right. Corinthians yep. 11, yep. it says, let a person examine himself. And so eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And so really I see the bread here as a process of self-examination. As we consider our lives, the labor of our lives, the bread, as it relates to us and how Christ demonstrated that in washing his disciples' feet. That was just one example of how he gave himself, how he gave his body for others. But really, Christ did that throughout his life. His life was one of self-sacrifice, where he daily demonstrated in giving himself for others. Yeah, that's very good. Really kind of draws all that together. Now, we just talked about the bread, and we're out of time. (laughs) But we kind of planned that we were going to talk about this really in detail because it's just so fascinating and it just takes you so many different directions in the scriptures. It's a wonderful study. We're going to break here and then we're going to come back next week with part two and we're going to talk about, should I say this carefully, the cup? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. A little (laughs) teaser. Yeah, we've been saying the wine, but really we're going to emphasize on what the record is really saying and, and why Jesus really kind of picked specific words when he referred to this cup. That's right. Yeah, I really look forward to talking about it with you next week. Okay. See you next week. We're giving away free essential Bible study media kits, which include stickers, bookmarks, and business cards. This is a really cool way to share the podcast, and I wouldn't blame you if you kept some of it for yourself. I have to say this is a pretty sweet package. All you have to do is send us your mailing address using our website contact form or direct message us on Instagram or Facebook and then wait anxiously at the mailbox for it to arrive. If you like the podcast, please just take a little bit of time and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you see stars. I love seeing stars, especially five stars. 
Little things like this can be a big boost for spreading these essential Bible studies. The Essential Bible Studies podcast is recorded in Ancaster, Ontario, Canada, and is sponsored by the Book Road Christadelphian Ecclesia. If you're ever in the neighborhood, you must drop by for a visit. More info on our location, times, and webcast are at bookroadchristadelphians.ca. That's www.bookroadchristadelphians, all one word, dot ca. Until next time, my dear friends, may God help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.